As you know, last week we did the elephant of discernment. We talked about individual discernment, um, and this week we are extending that a little further. But if you also remember, last week I didn't get through everything because I have a tendency not to. And uh, so fortunately we have uh, two weeks to go through this. Um, In your bulletin, if you got one, there is a bit of a recap of what happened last week. But I'm going to give you the quick snapshot. We defined discernment. Um, You're going to see it on the screen. A a little definition, the ability to judge well or in our particular context, the perception and the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining spiritual direction and understanding. It's simply saying that for those of us who ask the question, how do I know God's will? How do I know what God wants for me? Uh, What is it that he's inviting or calling me into? Uh, The way to do that is to be discerning, to look into discernment. So we talked about it in our particular individual context, and we defined uh, a few things, but we described it mostly as a playground. That if you want to understand how to be discerning, uh, one of the best ways to view God's will or God's way is to view it a bit like a school playground. Uh, One of the things to keep in mind is that the boundaries have been established for our safety, that every school playground tends to have a fence around it, and it's simply uh, for our good. It's for our best. It's intended to keep the kids in uh, and to keep certain people out. But not only that, playgrounds also have certain what we call givens. Uh, The teacher would desire for you to have fun, desire for you to play well with others, uh, to use the full space to enjoy all the uh, activities you can participate in or games you can come up with. All of that space is for your freedom. But within it, there are certain things that God or the teacher would expect, things like Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or loving your neighbor as yourself, or being a person of gratitude both to God and to others, or being a person of service, or generosity, or hospitality. Those are all things that none of us have to be very confused about. If someone asks, should I be generous to someone else? Absolutely. That is within the will of God. No confusion, no need to think about it. Uh, Should I love others? Absolutely. These aren't uh, mind-bending things. They're just simply things for us to live into as givens. We also talked last week about the intention or desire to follow your passions. God has created each and every one of us uniquely different. And so when we go out on the playground, some of us would prefer to go to the swings while others are all about the teeter-totter. Others are all about the merry-go-round. But the idea is all of us have been created uniquely, and we're, in, we're given the opportunity to harness our passions and use them for the kingdom of God. And so whatever you do, the whole playground is yours to explore and enjoy, and when you're making decisions, the same is true. You have all kinds of freedom, all kinds of opportunities to do those things that God has kind of lit on fire inside of you. In fact, the text tells us that uh, If we delight in the Lord, he gives us or places within us the desires of our heart. He puts things on our heart and mind that we can live into. And then we talked about the fourth kind of idea. If it's a playground, uh, we should explore it. If we're unsure, if we're nervous, uh, just try it. Give it a shot. Uh, I think sometimes we get so nervous about stepping into the unknown because of fear of failure 
uh, because of uh, a desire to please other people, a fear that if we make a decision, it will affect the rest of our lives. There's all kinds of reasons why we become paralyzed with fear around decision-making. But I think a lot of what this illustration is trying to describe is that you have freedom, so try it. If you lean into something you desire and you find out that it's not for you, it's not working well, it's not the greatest decision, shift and try something new. We have a lot of freedom, and it's an opportunity for us to evaluate, to risk, to take chances, uh, and to enjoy. Uh, the fifth one, and this is the one where I was starting to spend most of our focus, and it's this idea that playground, uh, playgrounds are best experienced with friends. If you're trying to make a decision, if you're trying to have discernment in a particular area, it is always best to make the decision with others. When we looked at a couple passages in uh, Proverbs, talking about this idea that, that if you get discerning people around you, if you have a, a council, so to speak, or a group of people you can bounce ideas off of, that there is great wisdom in that. We even uh, mentioned that God distributes his wisdom to his people through his people. So if you want to get wisdom, if you want to know where wisdom is found, not only is it found in the word of God, but God often speaks to us through his people. He utilizes those around you that you're in relationship with to, to impact you by sharing wisdom and insight. Uh, we then talked, and this is all just a quick recap, we then talked about this idea, a, a bit of a radical proposal, that all of us decide to choose to include as many other people in any decision we make moving forward. It's a radical proposal that whatever your decision you're making, small or otherwise, to invite others into it. Uh, we talked about this idea of communal discernment. Again, many of you may have felt like that's not something I do on a regular basis. I gave you illustrations to hopefully prove it's something you do all the time, right? I even saw, I glanced on Facebook this week because I got an invite to something. And uh, on there, someone was like, best restaurant in town, go. Communal discernment. It happens all the time, right? We just don't call it that. But you ask for advice and input. I'm just suggesting you do that on a, a whole variety more of, uh, of things. And so I gave you a few tips. Uh, the first one was this. Ask people who have been down the road before. If you're making a decision, you need to be discerning. Ask someone who's been there. Uh, somebody else who's had an experience. Someone else who's been through what you're going through. Someone else who's made the decision ahead of you. So that you can get the wisdom that they have to offer about the decision you're about to make. The second one. Invite those who are closest to you. Fa friends, family, group, members, church members. Wh whoever's closest to you that knows you the best. Invite them into the conversation. Ask their input or advice. Make sure that we include as many of those who know us the best. The third point, and I don't think we quite got here. The third point, and this is where we'll pick up this morning, is this. Ask people who might disagree with you. Ask people who might disagree with you. So if you've been planning, you're about to make a decision, you think it's the best decision, 
you wonder if there's somebody else that might have a different decision, ask someone you think might disagree with you. Get somebody else's perspective that's wildly different than yours. And I would encourage you to do that for a couple reasons. First of all, it is probably one of my largest pet peeves when people come to me and say, I've really thought it through, I know what I'm supposed to do, I'm curious what you think, and then I ask them, have they considered the opposite idea of whatever it is that they're considering? Even if it's like makes total sense for them to choose the thing they're about to choose, and I go, that is fantastic, well thought through, great decision, I still ask almost every time, have you considered the exact opposite? If you haven't considered the exact opposite, you actually haven't thought it through. I'm not saying you need to change your mind to the exact opposite. No. But if you haven't actually given it consideration, if you haven't questioned it and wondered, then you really haven't wrestled with whatever decision you're making. So I think it's important that we consider the opposite. Second, I think it's important because that's how we learn. One of the best ways to learn is to ask someone who's got a different opinion than you and then listen. Listen to what they have. Now, don't listen to, like, prepare your counter-argument to whatever it is they're saying. Not cool. Listen just to learn. Listen to be open. Listen to gain wisdom. You still might conclude to do the exact same thing. That's fine. But can you be open to receive something different? Can you be open to an insight or input different than your own? The fourth one. If you're unwilling to open your decision to others, there might be something to examine. If you're about to make a decision or you've already in your mind made a decision that you haven't executed yet, but you're unwilling to open that decision to other people, I would suggest there might be a deeper lying reason. Something for you to examine. Something that maybe you're attached to. Some type of investment on your own that you're like unwilling to like kind of release it. Again, invite people into that space, but when you do, be open, right? So often I think we make decisions and then we don't actually want to inform other people. We don't actually want their input, but we just want to either confirm from someone what we've already decided or we're just afraid to because we know that someone else's opinion might alter ours. And my suggestion would be to, if you are for some reason are tucking that away, hiding it, keeping it from others, there may be a reason to explore. Fifth, listen for the spirit among those invited. Listen for the spirit among those invited. So if you've invited someone into the conversation, listen for the spirit. If you've invited more than one person into the conversation, Listen for similarities in what people are saying. I am convinced that the Spirit of God speaks to us on a very regular and consistent basis, and yet we don't have ears to hear. Maybe we haven't attuned ourselves enough to, to really be quiet enough to pick up what it is the Spirit's saying. And one of the ways that I think you can do that is by asking multiple people and realizing that the input that you're getting is the same. When you hear that same input again and again and again, there may be something to it. 
It may be the Spirit speaking. It may be God trying to communicate something to you. So listen for maybe themes or clear words or ideas that the Spirit is saying. And then the sixth reason or sixth tip to inviting others to play in the playground is to seek God more than your answer. To seek God more than your answer. I have um, done this many times in my own life where I have cried out to God and said, God, I need wisdom. I, I need to know the answer. I need to know what I'm supposed to do. And subtly I move away from actually seeking him to just seeking the answer, to just wanting to know what I'm supposed to do. And it's another way of saying that I've stopped caring about the giver and I'm more concerned with the gift. When we ask for gifts from God, when we ask for input, when we ask for something to happen in our lives in a particular way, all of that is good. That's God's great desire for us. He described in the Gospels as a father who's desiring to give good things to his kids. And so he longs for that communication. But I think when it becomes just about that, we've steered away from the thing that matters most. What he wants and what we should want is that relationship, that connection. And when I go to my father for wisdom, when I call him up and I ask him for input, it's not just about that piece of advice. It's also about maintaining this relationship of staying close. The same is true with our Heavenly Father. Final point on individual discernment is this. Commit your plans and your life to the Lord and you will be wise. In the Proverbs, again and again, it says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Or commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. The point that the author is making is all centered around the Hebrew word commit. And the Hebrew word commit there means literally to roll onto, which sounds weird, to roll onto. But it's the idea of rolling the full weight of the decision onto the Lord. Or in the case of us, as we're describing this, rolling the full weight of your life onto God committing all of who you are to him and to the decision you're about to make. And when you do that, the text is basically communicating there's great wisdom in being a person who rolls the full commitment onto Christ, to trust deeply in that. And as you do that, as you practice consistently rolling all of your concerns, all of your thoughts, all of your hopes onto him, you subtly become a person who makes wise choices. You subtly become a person who's been discerning and thoughtful and engaged, and it becomes then a way of habit. And so my encouragement as you make discerning choices is to do it in community and to roll the full weight of your life onto Christ. This transitions us into what I wanted to primarily talk about this morning, and that is answering this question. It's, it's well and good to know what it is we're supposed to do as an individual discerning, but what does it look like when we need to make decisions collectively? What's called corporate discernment or communal discernment, what, what does it mean for us to do that collectively? Is it possible as a body, as a group, 
as a church to make decisions collectively. And I'm going to suggest that most of my understanding about this process of communal discernment comes from the book of Acts, specifically chapter 15. In chapter 15, you have this like monumental moment, this amazing moment for the church where they make a collective and corporate decision that is um, essential for moving the church forward. It, it is one of these like profound moments in the church. And I want to give you a little context to it so that uh, we understand what's going on. So uh, obviously Jesus has walked among us. Uh, after Jesus leaves, there's a lot of conversation about who he was and what he did. And, uh, and then we come into Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you have this moment in history in which the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes and makes himself present among his people. And so all of those that have decided to follow Yahweh, all of those who have followed Jesus and are walking with him, receive the Spirit of God in this unique moment in the church in Acts 2. Now, the church describes it as they began to speak in tongues, they began to meet together on a regular basis, they prayed, they fasted, they listened to teachings, they lived out and embodied this way of Jesus. And all of that takes place in chapter 2. A little bit after that, we have Acts 10. Now, up until Acts 10... Everything was about the Jewish people moving into this space where they were waiting for their Messiah, and then some of them realized our Messiah is here. It's Jesus. And they commit their life. And there's this like growing movement of people, Jewish people, who've said, I choose Yahweh. I choose to follow my Messiah. And then you have a group of Jewish people at that point that had not yet followed. And then you have everybody else, the Gentiles which nobody at that point in the Jewish world cared about, right? It was our faith, our belief, our hope in Yahweh, and not really about the Gentiles, until Acts 10. And in Acts 10, Peter is uh, hanging out. He probably had some bad pizza or whatever, and he has this vision, and uh, this sheet comes down, and it's like weird, and then there's like all these unclean animals, and then God is saying to him like, kill the animal and eat it, and he's like, no, I never would, and, and God is like, no, you can eat it, it's fine, and he's like, no, it's unclean, and he's like, no, it's clean now, don't worry about it, and then Peter wakes up, and it's like, what is going on, and so he tells some people about it, and they're like, dude, that is weird, and he goes, I think I know what it means, and what it means is all the Gentiles are included too, and everyone's like, shut up, no, it doesn't mean that, no way, it couldn't mean that. And Peter's like, no, seriously. And then he has like this vision a second time, and it's like, it's so obvious. And then the vision says, you need to go to this other place and meet these people. And he shows up, and there's Gentiles there, and he interacts with them, and he's having this conversation. And then he finds out that the Gentiles also have the Spirit. And he's like, what happened? The, I thought this was just for us, but now it's like for everyone right? And so he goes back and he tells other people and he's like, hey, here's the deal. Um, God says they're in and they're in. They have the spirit too. And again, you start having like this conversation. This is where Acts 15 picks up. So you have the Jewish people who are in. You have the Gentiles who are out. And the Jewish people hear 
that the Gentiles are in and that they have the Holy Spirit. And they're like, no, 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 no. They, first of all, they don't follow the rules. They don't. We have a set of rules, and this is what it means to follow Jesus. And have you seen them lately? They don't follow the rules. Their lifestyle's not right. They're not adhering to all of the law. They don't obey the Bible the same way we obey the Bible. And there's this tension that's growing. Then you have a group on the other side that are like, no, seriously, they're all in. It doesn't matter. And the Holy Spirit is present. They're like uh, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Good things are happening. God is working among them. The Gentiles are in. And they're like, no, they're not. They start pointing out their sin. They point out the ways in which they fall short. And so you have this debate going. A group that's saying, no, we don't let them in. The other group that's saying, we do want them to come in, but they have to follow our rules. And this whole debate is on a pretty important topic. Salvation. Who's in? Who's not? Who gets to say they're a child of God? Who doesn't? I mean, this is a monumental moment in the church. And I would, I would suggest that you could pick almost any other modern decision that's like feels earth-shattering, and this would be like a more substantial discerning moment for the church than anything you could dream up. This is the crux of faith. And here's the way that the church decides what to do corporately. In Acts 15, 28, it says this. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So the phrase, they have all this debate, all this interaction, all this tension, and they come away with, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I think there's a, a deep amount of wisdom in this phrase, that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And what I want to do for just a moment is try to unpack this. First, it seemed. It seemed. No movement or calling from God goes without uncertainty. No thing that you've been invited into, no decision that you have to make, no decision that we corporately have to make ever goes without uncertainty. What Paul and the early church and what Luke in writing Acts is communicating, I think, is the wisdom and the humility to say that we might not be perfect at always discerning the voice of God. That's a bold statement. They said it seemed, which in indicates there's still some mystery involved. It indicates that it's a not an exact science. And yet, it makes a lot of sense, right? It makes a lot of sense. And here's why I think it makes sense. You and I have been called into a faith, right? And faith requires trust. You've not been called into a certainty. You've been called into a faith. You've been called to follow. You've been called to listen and respond. You stand as one person in a long history of people that have received the exact same invitation. Abraham, leave the land you are, follow me. Where are we going? None of your business. We'll get there. Okay? Just go. And he's like, I don't know where I'm going. Let's just keep going. All right? 
You, uh, we could go person after person. Gideon, ready? Fight a big battle. Who's with me? Barely anyone. Go. That's not going to work. Don't worry about it. Moses, follow me. What do I do? Just go into the room with Pharaoh. Then what? Just throw your stick down. It becomes a snake. I got it from there, right? He's like, no, I don't even have a voice. I can't. I will okay, here's another guy. I let him go with you, right? But follow. Listen. Then Elijah, Ruth. We could keep going and going. We get to the New Testament. Disciples, follow me. And they just go, okay, and they drop their nets. They leave their business. They say, wherever you're going, I'm following. It makes sense, right? That it seemed. It doesn't always make sense to us to make the step of faith. But it's the very thing we've been called into. So they said it seemed. It also seemed good. You might ask the question, why does this seem good? And I would want to encourage you to think that the church feels as if it's good because the church has already been practicing this. So they come to Acts 15 and you're like, monumental moment, and they made a decision about salvation all around this idea that it seemed good to them? Yes, because this is what they've been doing. So you have Acts, right? In Acts chapter 1, we're short an apostle, right? You know the story, not very good, tree, death, suicide, we're short an apostle. So what do they do? They gather the apostles together. They gather some elders in the church together. They pray. They draw straws, which seems really weird, okay? And they figure out that it's this guy. And then they go, yeah, that seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Let's do it. And then we add another apostle to the church. We get to Acts 6. We've got a problem in Acts 6. The problem is that uh, some widows within the church aren't getting the same attention as other widows in the church. And so what does the church do? It's time for communal discernment. Let's get the elders together. Let's get the apostles together. Let's get those together and begin to pray over the church. And they do. And then after that moment, they appoint like six or seven people to be disciples or to, to be, excuse me, deacons to love on and care and support the church. And so the church has a history of making informed decisions, thoughtful dialogue around an issue, and then acting on it. And each of those decisions is language very similar to this, that it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. So the church has been living into this calling to listen to the Spirit as a collective group and then act upon what it is they're hearing. So it doesn't seem foreign to them, it seems good. And it, it seems good, thirdly, to the Holy Spirit. And here's what I think that means. That whenever we're listening to the Spirit, we need to ask the question, where is the Spirit at work? Where is the Spirit already active and moving? Where can we look to and see growth and change and something dynamic happening? And this might be where the church is kind of missing this whole discernment process. So I think the church wants to make good decisions globally. I think we here want to make good decisions. But I think that one of the missing uh, maybe indicators about the church kind of across the board is this idea of asking the Spirit. Because what I hear a lot around the church is this. 
we're going to make this decision, whatever said decision is. When you ask why that decision, the general answer is because it's the rules or because there's church tradition or because we've always done it this way or because uh, it's the most comfortable or it's the thing that most people will agree with or you get the idea, right? Rarely do I hear, and, and this is from pastors across the city, this is from pastors far beyond here. Rarely do I hear that we as a community have sought the Spirit and have listened intently, and the decision might not make any sense, but we're going with it anyway. I, I don't hear that very often. I hear it, it's practical, I hear that it's the rules, I hear that it's tradition. So what does it really mean, though, to listen or see where the Spirit is at work, to, to want to follow and see where it's moving? I, don't, I can't give you your particular scenario. I can't give you this church's particular scenario. I can give you some in the past. But I can just say, let's look at Acts 15 for a moment and say this. They made this exact same decision, listening and waiting on the Spirit, about a monumental aspect of faith. Who's included? Who gets to participate? Who's a part of this group? And in their case the Gentiles were on the outside. In their case, there'd be a, a meeting like this, and they're all talking, and standing out on the street would be all those who didn't feel welcome, all those not included, all those that are Gentiles. And yet, the Spirit was inviting them in. Yet, the Spirit was already present in them. Miracles are happening. Tongues are being shared. You see in Acts, all this movement around something dynamic happening with the Spirit, but not just among the Jewish people, among the Gentiles. So here's something to maybe think on it. Where the Spirit moves is where theology should follow. Think on that for a moment. Where the Spirit moves is where theology should follow. Now, I think there's a tendency for us to have this at times backwards. Here's what our theology says. Therefore, here's where the Spirit has freedom to work. Or here's what we've always done. Therefore, we're going to ask the Spirit to bless what we're going to continue to do rather than ask the Spirit if it is up to something new. Now, for any of you that are thinking to yourself, because I am one of them, that might think to yourself, uh, that's a little risky, Russ. Like, it's a little scary to say, where the Spirit moves, there our theology should follow. That You're leaving it pretty wide open. Let me just suggest one um, particular example that might be helpful. If you are currently in this room, and you currently call yourself a follower of Jesus, and you also are not Jewish, welcome to the decision that the church made in Acts 10 and 15 and thank them that the Spirit is moving. We sit here today simply because at a moment in time in this beautiful book, we hear a story about a group of people who were bold enough to listen to the Spirit 
bold enough to follow where the Spirit was leading, bold enough to invite those in who the Jewish community said didn't belong. And today we sit here hundreds and hundreds of years later as lineage to that decision. Now, if you prefer it to be boxed off and just say the Spirit only can follow our theology, we got a problem. We sit in a long line of church that's about making these decisions. It's thoughtful and intentional. Which leads to our next point. That it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, but it also seemed good to us. It seemed good to the people in the early church. It seemed good to us. So what does that mean? I want to give you a couple things that I think it means. One, I think it means that they had an inclusive approach. When they sought to make a decision, they sought to do it with inclusion. In fact, in Acts 15, 22, and I don't think it, oh, it is going to be on the screen. Uh, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church. They invited the whole church into the decision-making process. The whole church had a voice in the discernment. Now, that is not true of every decision that the church made. So you saw in Acts 2 that it was primarily the disciples and the apostles, about 130 or so people, that made the decision. After that, uh, in Acts 6, they brought in the leaders, then some pastors. They brought in like a, a greater group of people and made that decision. But when they come to Acts 15, they, this is such an important conversation that they brought in the discernment of the whole church. And I would suggest that this has been and has been the approach we have sought to take as a community here at New Community for a significant amount of time. That we have sought to lead and to be a part of the community that discerns in this kind of corporate way. In fact, we pray and discern as a group of elders, a group of staff, and then we invite the whole community at times to pray and discern, to be a part of the process. I, I wanted to give you a couple illustrations that might, uh, that might indicate or show ways in which we've done that. First of all, the elephant series. Uh, we thought and prayed about it as a staff and elders for a while. We then went to all the small group leaders and invited them to raise all the topics that we would potentially cover. We had a list of like 30-some topics that we would want to talk about over the course of the year. Then we offered that list of about 30 to the whole community, and we said, vote on it. And whatever you indicate as the top 12, those are the ones that we're going to teach on. We didn't pick and choose based on, man, I really want to speak this, or I really think we need to hear this, or, man, this would be a really interesting... No, we did it based on what is the community who's being thoughtful and prayerful? What is the Spirit saying to them, and what would be the thing that would most resonate, impact, challenge? Another example. Uh, this one is near and dear to me, and this one we probably haven't even announced yet. Um, so I have been doing the internship for the last 11 years. Love the internship pumped about all that it's been doing in the lives of people. And I have, and I think some of you know this, been dreaming about like revamping it, changing it, making like taking it apart and like putting it all back together again and having it look uh, and accomplish even more than it's currently accomplishing. And so I asked the staff and the elders and others to pray. I said, pray with me because I, I want 
to make it even better than it's been. And I know it's been impactful, but I think it could be more. And in that process, we started listening. And uh, one by one, people kept coming back to me and said, yeah, I think you totally need to revamp it, but here's the thing. I think you should not do it for a year first. And I said, no, no, mm-mm, nope. That, like, that, that was not what I asked you to discern, right? <laughs> I, I gave you pretty clear boundaries. You're outside of them currently, okay? And so then the next person would come and go, you know, I've really been thinking about it, but I wondered if maybe we should just pause it for a year now you have this space to revamp it and then start it again. And I was like, again, no. Like, that was not a part of the conversation. And then another, and then another, and then another. And finally, I was like, maybe I should listen to that. And then against my greater desire to do it this year, we made a decision. And obviously, we didn't send this to the whole community to discern. But as a group of elders and leaders and my family and others, we said, you know what, for one year, we're going to pause on the internship. It's been 11 years. We'll reboot it and then launch it again the following year. And as I've had time to process it over the last few weeks, um, I'm growing in excitement about that decision. Now, if it was just left up to me, if it was just my decision, I would have probably done something different. But when I took in the advice and the impa- input and the, uh, you know, just discernment from other people, we concluded in what I think now is a much better decision. And so we try to even set aside our own desires to do a thing that we sense is best for the community. We then include the community in much larger decisions, too. For example, we never once in the whole process of moving to this space ever said we're doing this I made a decision staff made a decision elders made it we said collectively will you pray and discern with us in this and what we kept hearing again and again and again was we have to do this and we did we did the same with hiring Carter We've done the same with all of the church plants we've done. The list could go on and on. We make decisions and we make them as much as possible in a communal way where we have input and advice. That's to say that none of the pastors have like the ultimate say. What I just want doesn't just happen. There's no elder that like comes to a meeting with a veto card and just gets to play it and go, yep, I decided. Never. All the decisions we make, even at an elder level, have to be unanimous to the sense where we're all sensing in agreement the same thing. Now, that is not the typical Western church approach. It is typically top-down, hierarchical. In fact, I I would say that it, it hasn't even been until the last 10 years that we've actually lived into this posture of saying we want to follow the Spirit, be discerning, not be senior pastor-oriented, not be staff making decisions or elders making decisions behind some veil of secrecy, but rather a community discerning together. The second thing I think the church did is they had a prayerful approach. If you look at the first part of Acts, they were all in one accord devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to prayer. 
Acts 6, they devoted themselves to prayer and the word. Acts 14, they appointed elders and in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There is a very clear indication that the church in Acts 15, and hopefully our church as well, is a church that genuinely seeks the Spirit, that prays and fasts. There have been decisions that we've gone into as a community where we have prayed extensively as elders. We don't just say this to like for any other reason than for, I think, for you to know. Uh, there have been times that we have fasted for days before making a decision or before stepping into something. We have to be a community that regardless of what decision we're faced with, we step into it with prayer and fasting. The third idea in this where it seemed good to us is that the church, I think, the early church had an open approach. And what I mean by open approach is that they gave space for ideas and practice. They gave space for it. They let it breathe a little bit. So a person, probably had to be, a person in the early church that raised their hand and was like, "Uh, so what about the Gentiles? Right? And they gave some space. They're like, well, yeah, what, what about it? Let's talk about that for a minute. Right? Or you saw a Gentile like just showing up for a meeting and they're like, what are you doing here? And they're like, no, like, come on in. We'll figure this out. Right? They, they had an open posture. That is not typical with church. But the early church, for some reason, had the ability to like let these ideas breathe, to give them space, and to know that if it was a good thing, if it was of the Spirit, if you gave it space, it would grow, and something beautiful would come from it. But if it wasn't, then it would go away. So here are a few things they gave space to. At one point, they were 100% about the Sabbath. Don't do anything different on the Sabbath. And then they went, yeah, that whole Ten Commandment thing, we're going to put that, like we're going to kind of change the rules on that a little bit, right? Like that's why we're having a picnic today. It's because they changed the rules a long time ago, right? It's too much of a walk up the hill, right? Interesting. Here's another one they changed the rules on, circumcision. Unless you were circumcised, you couldn't be included in the faith. That was part of the debate following Acts 15. They moved into more debates. And they went, you know what, you used to, you don't have to anymore. Meat sacrificed to idols, ah, eat it, it's good, right? They kept all of these conversations, they kept giving space to allow them to breathe and to listen and to discern and ask questions. And I would say that the church hasn't always been really good at this. Early on, I think they were probably better. Then we went through a season maybe where we weren't so good. Like kind of like Galileo standing up and going, yeah, I don't think the whole world, the whole universe revolves around the earth. They're like, shut up or die. Literally. I mean, they threw him in jail. You keep declaring this heresy, we will kill you. Then they let him out and they're like, our bad. Wait, it really, it doesn't revolve around the earth, right? They came into a new understanding and something that was like bedrock. The church then had to go, wait a second, maybe we need to rethink this. 
Any, anybody in here that believes in the Trinity at this point? Great. I know not all of us do, but great. That wasn't an original idea. It wasn't like, like Peter, you know, was like, on this rock, me, I'm going to build the church. Only if you believe the Trinity. Like, got to get that down first, right? No. But over time, we realize, like, oh, interesting, right? And for some of us, that is, like, so core to our faith. If you think about, we have all these ways in which the church has continued to be open. Slavery. At one point, the church did not give equality to men and women of color. It's probably one of the, in my opinion, one of the most heinous things the church did for a long, long time. Hurtful and damaging to people for centuries. And you had people saying, well, the Bible says, it's really clear, I read it right here, slaves be subject to your masters. Can't get much clearer than that. And then we discerned and we were thoughtful. And the church can be celebrated because it began to give space. And it said, no, 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 no. It's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And we've moved into a different space within the church. Remarriage. At one point, not a part of the equation. If you sit here and you're remarried, that's because the church rethought it and created space. Women's role in the church, something that the church is still wrestling with. Some believe one thing, some another. We as a community discerned and came to a conclusion the women have been gifted in all ways like men. And be given platforms and opportunity to lead and speak and teach. Because we were a discerning and thoughtful community. The church has to be open to discerning and being thoughtful and following the spirit. There's a phrase, I'll end with this. A phrase first uttered at least recorded, by St. Augustine of Hippo in the year 405. He said that the church must always be reformed or always reforming. Then a dude by the name of Lodenstein in 1674 kind of resurfaced that idea and said we as the church must continue to reform. What we've always done won't work. Let's keep imagining what it means to follow the ways of Jesus. 1947, Karl Barth made it a little bit more popular when he said it, and people held on to it. This idea that the church is always moving, that just like you see in Acts 1, and again in Acts 6, and then again in Acts 10, and then again in Acts 15, continues to 2018 and beyond, that we are a church always Reforming, always changing, always morphing, always becoming new and fresh and different. We serve a very steady God, but we have a very dynamic faith. 
And I think it's important for us to realize that when decisions are being made collectively, we have to ask, how, how can we be discerning like this? And I think the answer is what the early church did. They were thoughtful. They were prayerful. They were open with their posture. They were inclusive by asking everyone to participate in it. And as I read through this, what encouraged me the most about the whole thing is that what we have practiced in the past for the last decade has been, I think, one of the most life-giving things for our community, to discern together, to wrestle with stuff. And, and what I love is that that hasn't finished. We're continuing to do that, and we will into the future. And whatever decisions come in the future, they'll be ours collectively. And we'll wrestle with them together and we'll be a discerning body that seeks what the Spirit is saying. And as we do that, I think God will continue to move among us. Let me um, ask you to stand. We're going to do a benediction. But I'm going to ask you this time to participate in it. Uh, on the screen will be the words to the benediction, I will read the part that's light, and then uh, if you would read that which is bold, that would be great. New community, take your encouragement from Christ that your joy may be complete.